Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanokas. So, if last weekend's race at Spa was a dull one, today's 2020 Italian Grand Prix was one for the ages, with all sorts of action, controversy, and a surprise and popular first-time winner. It was essentially a race of two halves, as the cliche goes, with Lewis Hamilton dominating the opening 20 laps from pole position after his Mercedes teammate Valtteri Bottas had made a very poor start and dropped a sick from the opening lap. Hamilton was chased throughout the early stages by McLaren pair Carlos Sainz Jr. and Lando Norris, who twice clashed with Bottas in the opening lap as he muscled his way up to third. But the world champion was completely unchallenged in the lead as he sauntered to a commanding gap ahead of Sainz. Then the race was turned on its head completely when Kevin Magnussen's Haas ground to a halt on the approach to the pit lane due to a suspected power unit issue. And the safety car was called out as the marshals had to push the car into the pit lane and it could not be recovered behind the barriers. Mercedes pitted Hamilton shortly after the safety car was called, but it quickly emerged the team was in trouble as the pit lane had in fact been closed because of the proximity of the marshals and Magnussen's car. So Hamilton and Alfa Romeo's Antonio Giovinazzi, who also came in when the pit lane was closed, were investigated by the stewards and were eventually each handed 10 second stop and go penalties. In the middle of these being handed out, the race had restarted, but was quickly stopped again after Ferrari's Charles Leclerc had a massive crash at the exit of the Parabolica. And although he was quickly out of the car, the damage the incident had done to the barriers meant the race needed to be stopped so it could be repaired. Hamilton spent the red flag discussing the situation with his Mercedes team and even went to the stewards at one point before climbing back in to lead the pack into F1's first standing red flag restart, knowing he would have to quickly take his penalty, which dropped him to last and left him with a 30 second gap and many cars in between the lead that had once been his. At the front, Gasly, who had just pitted before the Magnuson safety car and was therefore boosted up the order when the rest pitted once the pit lane was reopened, charged past Lance Stroll at the second first corner, second in inverted commas there. Uh, the racing point had risen to second by not stopping under the safety car. Stroll was then overhauled by Sainz, which set up a thrilling charge between the two leaders, Gasly and Sainz, with the McLaren driver gradually chipping away at the AlphaTauri's lead, finally getting within DRS range on the last lap. But despite both drivers going rallying with no grip per science afterwards, Gasly held on to take a famous win with Stroll a short way back in third. Bottas finished fifth, failing to really capitalise on Hamilton's issue as the world champion charged back to finish seventh, despite finding it hard to overtake as a result of the party mode engine ban that had actually come into a force this weekend. But joining uh, Jonathan Noble, uh, Motorsport.com's F1 editor and I, we are stay, we're back, at the, back from the track. We've been at Monza all weekend, as we were at Spa last weekend and as we will be, and Magello next weekend, which I'm just already sounding exhausted about. I'm actually very excited about. Anyway, we're back at our Airbnb in Lesmo. And so to discuss all of that, all of the race, not our Airbnb, definitely not for one of our guests, our Autosports F1 reporter, Luke Smith. 
and GP Racing's executive editor, Stuart Codling, who is banned from talking about the, the decor behind John and I. That race, just watching it took a lot out of you because so much happened. How are you feeling? Yeah, it's just one of those truly magnificent, epic Grand Prix, basically. Uh, and it's one of those that um, you're just enthralled from start to finish. And I, when it started, Bottas, you know, had that mare of an open lap, got away poorly, was dumped back into the pack, wasn't making any progress. We saw Lewis cantering away. I thought this, I just had a hunch that something was going to happen here. This wasn't going to be a straightforward Lewis Hamilton win, but... Uh, I hadn't predicted the kind of the twists, the turns, uh, the controversies, the incidents, um, and the, the kind of the final shock result. I think what was especially good about it was this wasn't a race that was won by some crazy gamble onto, you know, wet tyres on a dry track and it suddenly unexpectedly rains and someone flukes it. Um, you know, everyone today deserved their result for different reasons. And sure, Gasly was lucky with the timing of um, the pit stop, but Every pit stop, you know, owes an element of luck to it in terms of the timing of when safety cars do or don't come out. It's, you know, an element of motor racing. Uh, so just one of those utterly, utterly brilliant Formula One races. Indeed, Luke. Indeed, we were not short on stories to cover on Autosport.com and Motorsport.com after the race, were we? How did, uh, yeah, how did you, how did you go about tackling uh, the getting the news list into shape? <laughs> it was just a case of. Uh, Everyone was a story, really. That's the thing. Like we just, there was, there wasn't really any driver who you looked at in that race and was like, well, there's, there's sort of very, no, there's not much to say really. Like, and I think the last few races, especially, like we've kind of, I think, gone into sort of the post-race stuff, and we've obviously, like, you always sort of find the big storylines and the big themes, but it's sort of fairly run of the mill. Whereas like today, there was just so much to talk about right the way through the field. Uh, everything from, I think, every team had sort of a big story in this race, which was, uh, which is really thrilling and yeah just to echo what John said as well it it was just one of those freak races that in Formula 1 you just don't really get nowadays and I, I think it was something like the first time since what 2013 or whatever that it, we haven't had any of the big three teams on the podium for a race and just a real real remarkable occasion and I think it, I just yeah it's one of those races that you kind of think like damn I, I wish I was there and obviously you two have got the you've got the the honor of being able to say that I think for years to come and I think that that's just such a cool thing because it is a, a real race I think we will remember for a very very long time for a lot of reasons and uh, yeah just I think wonderful to see some new blood on the podium as well and a new winner in Pierre Gasly. But it wasn't all great today because Alex and I had to go to a nose swap this morning and it was uh, the, Itali the Italians have been, we've noticed that different nationalities do things in very different ways. Uh, the Italians uh, like a very thorough nose swab. So it was oh, 10, so seconds rummage. Of, 10 seconds of probing, but I'll, uh, I'll take 10 seconds of probing for a Grand Prix like that. John says, I'll take 10 seconds of probing for a Grand Prix like that. And we will hope that something like that happens at Mugello, which uh, a lot of the drivers think will be fab in qualifying, but maybe not so much during the race. What sort of level of probing do you want to submit to to make that an exciting race, John? We're down for Friday. Um, during all the uh, the interesting and chaotic moments of the race, were you were you jumping up and charging around the Lord Heseltine uh, Theatre as you were watching? Oh it? yeah, it was extraordinary scenes. And the only shame today really has been that Pierre didn't get to celebrate his uh, first win in Formula One in front of a, a crowd of very excited people. And and it, it was amazing seeing the pictures of him just sort of absorbing. Um, the the enormity of what he had achieved, uh, and it was a it was a very interesting picture. But it was him alone in the podium, and it would have been nice to have seen a big crowd of people celebrating his victory with him. Indeed, it was far from a gasly business. I was I, I I've been banned oh, from using that. You used to use it daily in the autosport office before before the pandemic happened. It's it's one of your favourites. But there we go. Anyway, John, yeah, let's let's talk about uh, Gasly first of all, because I mean, he was asked repeatedly about you know, what he's been through in the last sort of year or so, you know, 13 months being dropped by Red Bull, all the, all the drama there, obviously sadly losing his close friend Antoine Hubert, you know, then we only marked that anniversary a week ago. But what was remarkable, I think about this drive, I do disagree with you slightly. I think it, it was a tremendous element of luck in terms of how the circumstances played out for him. He capitalized and was absolutely brilliant. Um, but yeah, just, just, just what was remarkable about his drive in the second half of the race was he did not, he did not put a foot wrong. He, he got as much gap as he could. So he was always going to come back in a quicker car. 
and Gasly didn't crack. There was there was no. He, you know, he said he was really struggling at the end, but he didn't go off and make a big error to lose the win. So, how impressed were you by his driving today? Yeah, that final phase of the race, because once once Carlos had cleared Kimi, um, I think Carlos saw <clears throat> Gasly starting to disappear into the distance, and McLaren had come over the radio and says, "Don't worry, take your time," because that phase of the race, you know, you'd have put your money on Carlos because he'd been running second early on behind Lewis, had paced a gap to the cars behind. Wasn't matching Lewis, but you know, very few people would have been able to. Uh, he looked like the quickest car, so I think once he cleared Kimi, he probably expected to swiftly close in on Pierre, and they'll go. But it wasn't like that at all. He was quicker in the first sector, each lap by two, three temps. It varied. Um, middle sector, Pierre was often a little bit quicker, uh, and then the final sector, um, cars would close up again. So I think it's all down to downforce levels and where they're running at. But you know, his final. Five laps where both have been pushing as hard as they can, and that's when the mistakes normally happen. And you know, I can't imagine the, the pressure you're under leading a Grand Prix like that after all you've been through at a tricky track, you know, like Monza, where you make a small error in braking and it's game over. Um, with Carlos Sainz breathing down your neck, both fighting for your first Grand Prix win. Um, yeah, just a just a sensational finish. I think it showed a tremendous presence of mind by Carlos to be told by his pit wall, oh, don't worry, you've got plenty of time, have patience a bit, and him to see the car ahead starting to disappear into the distance and Raikkonen starting to have trouble on the soft tyres, as a lot of people who took that restart on soft tyres did, and to actually think, no, this isn't working, I need to get past him now. Uh, and then it was, a, it, was, it was a very interesting cat and mouse chase between the p1 and p2 for the for the rest of that race and i suppose some people might look at it and say well you know he didn't quite get close enough but actually when you were looking at the the lap times they were kind of trading blows weren't they and it was, it was actually fascinating seeing the lap times change as, as as pierre was obviously talking to his pit wall and being told actually you can you can start to take a little bit more life out of your tires now you can push a bit harder here um it, it was really really interesting in that phase what was really clever from gasly's he was sort of saying we asked him about this in the press conference and it's actually really interesting to hear both he and science gave these very long eloquent answers in their first uh, post-race fya press conference um you know you sometimes get the impression that the drivers get a little bit especially like 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 the mercedes drivers who are there all the time and max verstappen that they just get a bit uh, get a bit frustrated with the repetitive nature of you know just having to, to be up there so many times whereas these guys obviously quite unusual so they were most happy to talk about everything that was going on and they gave these great detailed answers about what they were doing in terms of where Gasly knew he needed to push in terms of physically on the track because he's like he's not he wasn't getting any DRS he wasn't getting any toe which was the critical factor because science only gets DRS right at the end and he basically was saying he was taking all the life out of his tyres in the corners he was really pushing on there because he knew he couldn't hold back because that was his only chance to gain time whereas science was just okay you know they, they told him what to do with the battery settings and just had to be really clever about how to how to win this race and we're going to come to talk about it later on with Lewis Hamilton but there was no right strap seven strat six strat two whatever there was no engine mode you know witchcraft really that, that that was all taken away from it which i don't know i don't know whether that w made it more or less exciting it sort of you could go either way on that depending on, on your persuasion but yeah it was just a really really interesting to hear their responses after the race and um, but luke what did you make of of science today i thought he was quite he was quite magnanimous afterwards it was interesting hearing him on the radio you know um i want this win i want you know he was he was very determined he really gave it everything and just uh a great drive from from another driver who's been shining this season. Yeah, definitely. And I think he's had such rotten luck all the way through this year. Uh, and he, he's been fighting and fighting, but things just haven't been going his way. And you kind of look at the Ferrari picture and sort of look ahead to next year. And a few people saying, oh, is it really the right thing to be doing? And I think that he has... He has proven time and time again, like he is one of the, uh, to I think quote his very good self, he's one of the smoothest operators in Formula One. Like he's, he's really, really talented. But I love today that we really saw what a uh, race winner or race victor contender uh, Carlos Sainz looks like. Because we've never seen that before. We've seen him fighting for podiums and fighting to be the front of the midfield. But just seeing that sort of mentality change when you've got the, the, the scent of a race victory and you know it's there for the taking. And and as you said, like when he went back to his engineer and said, no, I've got to get past Kimi because otherwise I'm going to lose Gasly. He was he was very adamant about that. And even towards the end, like he, he was 
saying, look, I, I want this win. I've got to get this win. And he was, yeah, he was very magnanimous in defeat and said that realistically second place would have been his, he thought anyway. And I, I, I'm i inclined to agree with that because after Bottas' bad start and he dropped back, Science was a comfortable P2 behind Hamilton. And I think Hamilton was, I mean, he was a good sort of 10 seconds, if not more clear um, before the safety car came out. And Science was like, he was, he was, like good in second I think he was a good sort of four or five seconds clear of Lando Norris in third so and all weekend long he's just been brilliant and I think that again really shows that science is he's more than ready to join Ferrari as no matter what state that team is in right now it is a big move it's a, a big thing to be joining Ferrari and I think that maybe any question marks people had about a, a driver who's not won a Grand Prix and has only had one podium or anything like that I think we saw today that science is, he is capable of winning races. I think if that race was a couple of laps longer, he probably would have won the race. And uh, yeah, it was just really cool to see that sort of, uh, that inner fighting spirit that I guess is, it's kind of been, it's been there to see in places with science. But when you actually put them in a situation where you can win a Grand Prix, it just flipped a switch. And yeah, that was really, really cool to see from him this weekend. What I would have loved to have seen this weekend is how the Tifosi would have reacted in those closing laps as you know the future darling is closing in battling for the lead against an Italian team uh, I think it would have been a you know what a roller coaster afternoon for the Tifosi would have been the disaster of Ferrari again and then suddenly the the new golden child almost would have come and delivered would have been utterly unbelievable would it have been like when was it Riccardo Patrese who got booed by the Tifosi when he was, uh, was he driving a Brabham I think in the early 80s at Imola when he was leading and um oh no that no they cheered when he retired was was the thing and um he he was he was very displeased by that well I remember also Prost when he um won here in um I think it was 89 just before he went to Ferrari um, handed over his, uh, dropped his trophy down to the uh, Tifosi Italians who were, um, they loved it. They thought it was fantastic. Oh, Ron was furious, here, Mr. wasn't he? Yeah. Our Dennis <laughs> from Woking was not happy at all. What good has it done, Formula One, or as a sort of a lamer way of putting it, would be uh, Formula One won today, didn't it? Well, that's what Toto Wolf said in his uh, post-race press conference, when, of course, you know, he he was asked a difficult question about you know why 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 did you lot not notice that the pit lane was closed when everyone else did uh, apart from Alfa Romeo etc. And uh, why why did you spend so long arguing the toss with the stewards when it was clearly an open shut case? He said, well, before I answer that question, I want to make a long statement about how the big three teams uh, lost today, but the sport won. And um, fair enough. However, firstly, demerit anyone who refers to Formula One as the sport. You know, motorsport is the sport. But let's not get on to subbing points. One I entirely agree with, though, Collins. Full, full marks for you there. Anyway, do carry on. Sorry. One I don't agree with, but anyway. No, no, you're wrong. Luke. You're totally wrong. Anyway, you're both completely wrong. <laughs> it's called motorsport. God, just carry on. It, it was interesting to see later on. Obviously, you guys didn't see it because you you have you have the, the good fortune to, to be there, even if you're in the bubble and, and with, with restricted access in a lot of cases. But, you know, I watch it um, in the Lord Heseltine Theatre and then I see what the various news sources say about it afterwards. Uh, and the way it was framed in uh, on the BBC news was fascinating, which was that, you know, Lewis Hamilton didn't get to break uh, these records as soon as they was expected and uh, it didn't all go to plan. So when, when are they actually going to mention who actually won the race here? And it was a long way down the line. It was, by the way, this obscure French bloke you've never heard of, listeners. So so it was interesting to see how, how the the result actually maybe budged it a little bit further up the, 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 the sports news than it might otherwise have been. Because I think Lewis Hamilton's slam dunks are becoming a little bit kind of meh as far as the the mainstream news is concerned so they're maybe not taking as much interest in it as they would have done so a, a quirky and unusual result uh was was quite good and and budged it further up the 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 echelons of or further at the priorities than it might otherwise have done i think the main the main problem for mainstream news broadcasters is that the the way that the race panned out was difficult to explain so it, it it might not it might have been shall we say headline news 
had it not been so difficult to explain to Joe Schmo at home how it all panned out with red flags and yellow flags and, and that sort of thing. So it was unfortunate in that regard. Well, just to go back to what you're saying about Toto Wolf God is I um it was it was it was quite it's quite good in terms of uh, my workload in the in the way that I do everything with autosport.com race report and then um filing that and then you know going to the press conference afterwards now a nice big gap things are a bit spaced out by all the 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 pre-podium procedures as it were where the drivers talk to uh talk to, to you know to the tv to the tv crews because just meant i had enough time to file the report and then head down to the end of the press room where there was a lovely view of the podium and i was uh, i was i was very much enjoying myself being uh, utterly pathetic and taking lots of pictures but anyway what was really interesting was looking down and seeing everybody who'd gone down to the podium so roman grosjean was there i think i've heard i didn't see this but i think charles leclerc also congratulated gasly although he didn't stick around for the podium bits um Lando Norris was there with the McLaren team watching watching the podium. The AlphaTauri guys got onto the pit straight. The Racing Point guys were all over the pit wall and McLaren were in the pit lane. But also, Toto Wolff and several of the Mercedes uh, senior leadership team and, and the engineers there, they made a big point of all coming out of their garage, standing at the front and applauding the podium. So I thought there was uh, there was certainly some, some messages being sent there. But yeah, John, I mean, is this the sort of result that F1 wants to see more when it comes to the 2022 regulations you know these sort of i think random would be the wrong word but unexpected shock i suppose if we were going to really sort of ham it up yeah but i think it's it's always a fine balancing act isn't it because today's result was only a shock because it doesn't happen very often whereas if it becomes the norm suddenly the shock factor goes and winning a race then doesn't become anything special so i think it's a real fine balancing act that f1 must always tread that the best team and the best cars over the course of an entire season, you know, should win and the best driver comes out on top. I think that should should always be the bottom line. You can have odd events where you do get shock winners, but I think if you start having too many winners and too many teams are winning and finish on the podium, then it just loses that element of the best driver or the best team or the, the, the specialness of winning, basically. I mean, it's like having Christmas every day. If you had Christmas every day, Christmas wouldn't be special, would it? Well, you certainly lose your appetite for Christmas pudding, wouldn't you? I suppose I raised the issue of 2012, I think, and the, the season that had several different winners in the first few races. Races like this are OK. Something happens. Someone different wins. And it, it was it was it was meritorious because he was handed he, he was given he won the lottery ticket in terms of. Uh, a good starting position. He did the business in that he nailed uh, Lance Stroll, who you know made a complete pig's ear of the restart. Let's uh, not to put too fine a point on it. And then he led under major pressure for pretty much half a Grand Prix. So you, you can't say that he didn't deserve that win. And, and I'd say, you know, one, two, three were meritorious because Lance Stroll, though he did make a pig's ear of the restart and should have won, but didn't. Um, uh, did actually sort of hold it together to, to, to finish on the podium. Indeed, I think um, I had explained what rating I was going to plan on giving Lance Stroll, um, but over the quarter to to, 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 over to John and, and Luke and Codders before we started recording, but actually having time to consider it, I think I may be being well. You were too generous. So, anyway, let's let's see what he ends up with. I might I mean, I can do what I like, it's my ratings. Anyway, um, Luke, let's just quickly cover off Lance Stroll. Um, just, just very quickly, actually, just, just last point on Gasly. He's been an absolute star of the season so far. He's doing tremendously well in the driver ratings, averages on autosport.com. He's performance after performance. He doesn't, he's had very, very few uh, minor notes, really, in, in, in across the campaign so far. So he's doing very well. Um, and, and congratulations. Fantastic victory today for Gasly. But yes, Luke, uh, Lance Stroll, what, what happened to him at the restart? Because... Not only did he was he quickly overwhelmed by Gasly off the line, he then went off uh, the second chicane. Yeah, uh, so he said that his tyres were basically cold, like he really struggled to get them up to temperature and, and ready for that uh, standing grid restart. As you said, at the top of show is a first under a red flag uh, to, to restart a race like that. And uh, yeah, and that I think that really undid his race and he admitted after the race that he felt it was his race to lose because he had he had got into the pound seat by staying out all the way through and then you've got this I think contentious rule the drivers are allowed to make tyre changes therefore you can effectively basically do a no pit stop race um, obviously Roman Grosjean famously did that uh, for Haas on debut uh, back in 2016 but uh, yeah and that, that put Stroll second on track net first given that Hamilton had to serve his penalty and given how strong that racing point has been this year you kind of thought well like he's 
he's got a real chance of winning this. And I think on our um, internal all sport communication, someone asked oh, who's winning this under the red flag, and I said I think it'll be Lance Stroll. Um, but yeah, fluff the start, and I think that was uh, that, and that was a real yeah real missed opportunity. And I think the racing point that they finally got a first podium of the season, which is impressive. But again. This is the team that has been the third fastest team all year and therefore should really be picking up the pieces when the teams ahead fluff their lines. And to only come away with third, I mean, actually, I think that's quite a disappointing result in many ways for Racing Point, which I think speaks to how good they've been this year. But I think that it's just something they've got to sort of iron out moving forward because it is, it's another chance they had wasted, basically, to really, I think, put some daylight between themselves and the rest of the midfield. Um, McLaren are still third in the constructors, thanks to Science for his result. And I think that, yeah, Stroll, he, sh- he should have won that race, I, th- I think, from where he was. Yep, I think that's pretty pretty fair enough given the pace of the car, Luke. Um, let's talk about the the other big talking point, really, of the race, which is Lewis Hamilton's penalty, also given to Antonio Giovinazzi, as I said. Um, but yeah, John, we were as we were driving back from the track, we actually stopped uh, stopped off at a um, takeaway pizza place to, to get some to get some food in on the way home. Um, uh, but before we arrived there, we listened to Michael Massey, the FIA race director, give his explanations because in the in the in the times of COVID nineteen, instead of doing like a regular media briefing, uh, you're asked to submit questions. The FIA, uh, one of the media delegates, comes around and uh, says, you know, you have any questions for for Michael Massey, and you, you submit them, and then it's read out to him, and he answers them. And uh, and yeah, he gave a good explanation of, 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 of several several things including why Magnussen's Haas was not pushed back behind the uh, behind the guardrail so what happened there yeah if you look at the tv images at the time it looked like Kevin had pulled over by a suitable gap because drivers are often pretty good at getting their cars out of the way waiting for the nearest marshal post it gets pulled back and the race gets going again um so at first glance he thought they'll, they'll pull it back we'll get going but actually it wasn't a it's not an access point for cars I think there's a bit of orange paint on there that designates this is just a marshal's post. Um, it's not actually wide enough to fit a Formula 1 car through, which is why they needed to push it forwards, put it in the pit lane, and then that's why the pit lane um, was closed. Um, it's very rare these days the pit lane's closed in those circumstances. Um, and in, in the event that it does, there's three separate um, kind of systems that are in place to warn teams and drivers. There's um, a flashing um, light signal of a red cross, um, so there were two of those boxes, one I think at Parabolica, one on the exit, which warns the driver the pit lane's closed. There's a, a team system which indicates, puts the pit lane into red um, on their um, GPS map, which says it's closed. And there's also a, a note on a timing screen page, um, which says pit lane closed. So there's three separate systems there, um, one of which should be picked up by either the team or the driver. And... Um, they all missed it, basically. Lewis didn't spot the red crosses. The team didn't spot the timing screen nor the um, red pit lane GPS map. So basically, there's no, they got it wrong. No excuse. They did. I mean, considering how thorough the Mercedes team is and how ultra successful they are, it seems quite extraordinary that, that nobody spotted it until I think Toto Wolf said that there was a, an engineer back at the race control room in Brackley radio to say the pit lane's closed, pit lane's closed. But by then it was too late. Hamilton was in and I think Wolf was, um, Luke Codders, you were both you were both in that media session. Codders, why don't you explain what, what Toto Wolf's explanation was? Because as I understand it, it basically he's sort of saying, well, everyone was distracted by the fact that Lewis was coming in. So we returned to make sure the stop was going on. And that's when we suddenly got the call. And then we realized that uh, we were in uh, we were in trouble. Uh, during my scribblings and their ex- extensive scribblings during the Toto Wolf press conference, he basically, it, it, it was as if um, he'd got like a mortar device and loaded every fact they had at their disposal into it and then just lit the touch paper and run away because he didn't actually offer a coherent explanation of why they failed to spot any of these things. It was just basically a, here's everything we know. It was like the filing cabinet drawers of his brain had fallen open and spilled their contents onto the floor. So he said, well, firstly, there were waved yellow flags for 11 seconds, and then there was a full safety car. And I was kind of thinking, well, where are you going with this, Toto? What's that got to do with the price of fish? And then he moved on to the next thing, which was nobody looks at page four of the FIA screens anyway. And I was thinking, well, clearly, 
nearly eight other teams were, Toto. So where are you going with this? Uh, and then he said that, um, you know, no one saw the yellow crosses. Oh, no, no, he said that they're supposed to be red crosses and they were yellow crosses. And I said, well, well, you know, your ability to distinguish colours is not my bailiwick, Toto. So you know, more, more data required on this front. So he was just basically firing all these sort of facts and counter allegations at the screen and hoping that something stuck. Uh, and finally, he offered this thing that you know, one of the strategists back at base eventually belatedly spotted it and said, no, 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 don't do it. But it was too late. And basically none of them, none of them saw this thing and eight other teams and all the drivers saw it and acted upon that actionable intelligence. So I think there's, there's nothing really much more to say here than that Mercedes were a little bit complacent and asleep at the wheel and everything Toto said in his press conference was just just mind-boggling levels of cant really it doesn't really matter if there was 11 seconds of single wave yellows before the safety car was deployed fact was the the pit lane was shut and everyone else spotted it and and acted accordingly and lewis sort of pottering away to have a rant at the um stewards didn't really bolster their case at all it just came across as a little bit petulant really but there was there was one moment where lewis was in the in the in the main building above the pit garages where it looked as if he was going to pop into the media center to let his uh, let his uh, thoughts be known because he was on the he was on the very uh, on the very level before he headed off down the stairs and in fact i think certain uh, certain newspaper journalists had gone out there to try and doorstep him which i thought was uh, was, I thought was oh uh, was it the daily mail <laughs> oh, here i am with my <laughs> peach trousers i will doorstep you it lewis certainly was it certainly was. Uh, but yes, um, I, I suspect he would have given them fairly short shrift, but there we go. Um, Luke, let's stay on on uh, Lewis, because you and I both went to, well, went to, we, uh, we, we, we signed into the Zoom call that sadly passes for press conference in these uh, in these most difficult times. But um, it was it was interesting hearing sort of his explanation of what had gone on, because he was saying, you know, it, it, he didn't quite say it in so many words, but he was sort of hinting at, you know, the, 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 the positioning of where these boards were. I would never be looking there because I was always coming through the corner. You know, your eyes are to the right. These were on the left. There was no light at the pit lane. You know, I think I think you basically was like, well, it's a fair cop. I've done it. But also, I'm still annoyed that the circumstances that led to it. So, you know, he wasn't blaming himself. He wasn't blaming anyone else. He was just sort of hinting at some blame being there. But I think that it's interesting to listen to, to Michael Massey saying, you know, we, we explain where these boards are, you know, at every track. It's it's in the event uh, the race director's event notes it's it's in the diagrams that explain the entrance to the pit lane so i think lewis has to share has to, you know if, we, if we're gonna uh, make an assessment of the situation we're gonna have to say that lewis is gonna have to take some blame because it's it's both it's two things the the, the team messed up and he messed up and it, it cost them cost them the win it did yeah and i think that they i, I maybe i'm not as I think there is maybe a little more bad luck in it than perhaps Cod has, has suggested. I think that they were maybe a victim of their own success a little bit because Lewis was just so far ahead, basically. And ironically, if he'd been not quite as far ahead, then he'd have had a little bit more time to to realise what was going on and Mercedes would have. Um, he the, Apparently, uh, Michael Massey said that the... Uh, the pit lane was only closed just as Hamilton was entering uh, Parabolica. So that's like not very much notice. And But... As, as you said, Alex, like ultimately all of the information is relayed to the teams regarding where these boards are, what the procedures are. And I guess maybe it's a thing of that because we very, I mean, I can't remember the last time a pit lane was closed. I think Massey said it was Brazil 2016, maybe or something like that. And it's, uh, it's very rare for that to happen. So I don't know if it's maybe something that's just sort of been put to the wayside because team managers maybe think, well, it's not as important to sort of go over or anything like that. But um, yeah, I think that definitely there is a... There, there is a case that Mercedes didn't didn't prepare enough, basically, that they did drop the ball. I think for Hamilton as well, like he said that he, he just wasn't aware that that is where the boards are um, at Parabolica, that that is where you would look to know if the pit lane is, is open or shut, which, again, is, is strange because Mercedes, they do pride themselves on sort of leaving um, no stone unturned and they really sort of go in ev- to every sort of degree they can to be as perfect as possible and all these sort of marginal gains. And I think that's quite an easy area where they would sort of have, have just had that off to pat. So, uh, yeah, so maybe the ball a little bit there they didn't have long to react at all but they still should have they still should have been aware of what was going on and uh, I think that it is 
and the, the, by the time the Hamilton did go on his sort of uh, mid red flag uh, jaunt up to the steward's office and he sort of said well I didn't see any lights at pit pit um, entry like as you, as you go in like he was expecting to see some red lights if it was shut and they showed him the footage and apparently he was like yep fair cop like I've, I've been done I've done wrong and uh, he just had to take it on the chin as Toto said and it is uh, yeah I think a defeat the Mercedes will as they always do they will learn from because that is just how they operate but um, this is one that really got away from them today I think Hamilton is very fortunate that his championship lead is is unscathed and completely intact as it was coming into this weekend given that he really did drop the ball I was perhaps being a little bit flippant in in, in my earlier set of statements and, and I did gloss over well it's not like me at all is it I will rant some more about the business of the 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 lights at pit entry or lack thereof because that that seems to be the crux of Mercedes case that there were no lights at pit entry uh, and so you look at, at that and think, well, actually, you know, do, do they actually have a point there that there should be some lights at the pit entry? I think the problem is that if, if you were to sort of stick a big red traffic light at the pit entry there, what effects does that then have? Uh, and, and what unintended consequences do you have if a driver who is heading to the pits uh, aborts that pit entry and then wanders back out um, onto the track at a point where... Uh, other drivers are reaching terminal velocity upon exit from the parabolica it would be very unsafe so i'd imagine that that is one of the reasons for there not being a, a, a light there indeed and just just to just to go back a little bit i think when we say that you know both your team and and hamilton must take blame these were it, they've not done a lot wrong it's just it had massive consequences and it's cost them a race win so it's going to be tough for them to take but as you say luke this is just is genuinely what mercedes do they bounce back uh bounce back pretty well as did lewis hamilton it must be said coming home seventh um let's have a let's have a chat about um some of his remarks because it was really interesting hearing him talk about his drive back uh john because as 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 as, you, as, you, as, as everyone i'm sure will be well aware because we've talked about basically nothing else for the last couple of weeks thanks to the dull belgium grand prix there was a technical directive came into a force uh, this weekend that meant the cars had to run in a single engine mode between qualifying and the race and it was it, this played out really interestingly because valtteri bottas after he had his terrible start which we will come on to discuss later on um he was saying this is a joke i can't race with this engine setting and hamilton seems to be to be getting at that as well afterwards because he's basically saying you know that it just made it a lot more difficult um so he still put in a great recovery it just he just didn't carve his way through because the engine wasn't there to help him yeah on that on that bottas bottas radio message i asked toto about that he clarified that bottas wasn't referring to the, the lack of engine mode changes it was more to do with the um, the setting of the power unit and how they're set up their cooling. Um, so he, he, it was the fact that he, he was having to pull out of slipstreams, cool the car down um, to keep the engine working, basically. So I think that was his annoyance was that, not the, the change of mode. But equally, I do think he was humbled a bit by the, the inability to turn the engine up because he's seen cars drop back at race starts into the pack and they swiftly, you know, will turn the engine up for a lap. And they're passed and gone. And we didn't see that. Didn't see that today anywhere. Um, and I suspect the fight between Gasly and Sainz was impacted by this because it was, you know, it was a great battle of two evenly performing cars, basically, down to a few temps. You didn't see one of them turn it up and the other not having the ability to. And it, it was all settled. It was about, you know, racing that car to the, to the limit of its performance, <clears throat> which I think may well be, a characteristic we see now that we don't see cars suddenly closing a gap or being able to turn it up but it's much more consistent the mistakes get punished um because while lewis was able to make progress he was also making progress against the back end of the field i'd have been more intrigued to know if he got up to you know started in seventh place for example came out in seventh place how far up the order he would have got there and, and come through but it was also intriguing that he there weren't from him it wasn't lap after lap after lap of purple sector times because normally they'd turn the engine up and you'd be rattling out fastest lap after fastest lap and charge through. And it wasn't the characteristic wasn't there today. Um, sure, he got fastest lap because he you know, managed to find clear air and was coming through, but it wasn't the normal behaviour you expect from a the best car coming from the back. It, it's interesting because the, the the signals we've had from a lot of the grid on this regard have been quite mixed haven't they for instance um I, I went i attended the virtual renault press conference and asked 
Daniel Ricardo about whether he'd been able to, or whether he might have been able to pass Bottas in, in the final phases of the race if he'd had access to higher engine modes. And he said, well, no, actually, because that, that's usually something you'd use the battery for. And so he, he actually said, well, it, it hasn't actually made that much of a difference uh, in terms of our race. Uh, and that confused me a little bit because you have um, one set of people saying, actually, this has made a colossal difference. And a lot of other people saying well, it's not really made any difference at all. So I, I wonder if the truth lies somewhere in between those two poles. Let's talk uh, quickly about Valtteri Bottas, because this was a bad day for Bottas. It's got, it was bad at the start. That's where it all went wrong. Everything, everything that happens to Bottas today begins with that with that start. Um, he talked about there's a there's a there's a there's an so there's a force there's something's going wrong that he's not coping very well with with what's going on at the start because he had nearly had another Hungarian Grand Prix situation where he basically jumped the start and had to stop it again. It wasn't quite as severe as that. And then then he gets you know almost bullied by Lando Norris at the second chicane that he was a long way back Norris when he got alongside. And Bottas thinks he had a puncture because of all the contact he had. He didn't, and he just fell down the pack. Couldn't recover because, as, as John has explained, you know the, the, the engine settings, and also I think that was a factor in uh, Lewis Hamilton as well. I think just, they had to cool the car. The Mercedes doesn't like hot temperatures, which was pretty warm at Monza, and just yeah, having to having to having to lift and coast to, to help the cooling, which would have frustrated him. But yeah, the thing, the real bad thing for Bottas is that Lewis Hamilton had a terrible day after you know the first, after the first twenty laps have been completed. And yet he's made no progress into cutting his championship lead back. Yeah, which is just, it's unforgivable, really. Like you've got to, in this title race, particularly when you're up against Lewis Hamilton, you have got to take advantage of his bad days because there are so few of them. And that is something that Nico Rosberg did very well in 2016. Hamilton had that very, very sluggish start to the season. And Rosberg won the opening four races, I believe, and like really just did not miss a beat. And every time that Hamilton dropped the ball, he was there to pick it up. And Bottas just simply did not do that today again. Like it was really, really disappointing. And ultimately if you're if your team like Mercedes and you sort of say, oh, it's all about the team, we want the one two and everything like that. And and obviously that is like absolutely what they do. Like they've got parity between their drivers and they will always put the team result ahead of the sort of the, the driver result. But you also expect to have two bullets in the gun. Like so if one if one driver has an issue or there is a mistake or something goes wrong, as seen with Lewis Hamilton today, entering the pit lane and getting the penalty, you should have your backup. Like you should have your 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 wingman, which I know Bottas hates being called, but in situations like this, he should have been there running P2 so that if Lewis lost the race, Valtteri would win it. And that just didn't happen. Like he didn't get anywhere near the front. He wasn't ever sort of a factor in in this battle to win the race which is silly because he, he really should be doing that um for the for the team's cause but also for his own his own title aspirations and all this talk about Valtteri 3.0 or whatever and then he had that great win in Austria to start the season and we thought oh maybe there's a bit of a bit of fight here like we're gonna have some kind of narrative between the two sort of Mercedes guys uh, exchanging blows right the way through the year and that's gone completely. And like today, I think really summed up just where this title race is. That even when Lewis Hamilton has a disastrous day, is running last 30 seconds behind the pack, he can still fight back and finish two places behind Valtteri Bottas. I think lose a point to Bottas in, in terms of the, the uh, net swing in the title race because he got the bonus point for the fastest lap. And uh, yeah, his championship lead is still 47 points, which is, uh, it's huge. And I just think Bottas really... I think JBL touched on this on the Friday podcast that he just really needs to rethink his approach and just and just work on things because it is just not working right now and he won't win the title like this. Um, I asked Toto Wolf after the race about, like, was he disappointed that you didn't have the second driver able to pick up the pieces? And he said, oh, well, Valtteri, like, he reported a puncture on lap one and it wasn't a puncture, but obviously there was an issue and that through all the right-hand corners he was struggling and that meant he couldn't get close to the cars ahead and therefore just couldn't make any gains. And it's... Yeah, like it's just it's just really disappointing, um, and I think that it does show where this title race is going. That even on a massive, massive uh, ball drop from Lewis Hamilton, Bottas just is not there to make any kind of gains. So there's obviously various phases to the to the start. He says it starts from, um, and the teams measure this down to the nth degree, and they all have their little um, charts of how they compare to the others. So um, he says once from clutch release. You know, to the first, I think often measure it to the first hundred meters is all fine. He's up there with Lewis, um, you know, managing the wheel spin and controlling it. That's all fine. But he says there's some disturbance in that 
preparation uh, in those final kind of milliseconds before the lights go out. You didn't want to go into it in too much detail. Um, it's something to do with either what, how Mercedes is preparing for starts or something he's got to do. But it's basically now triggered him twice to, in effect, go too early. Uh, in Hungary, <clears throat> went too early, anti-stall, and it dropped well back. Whereas I think today he went early and caught it, but he just then got away a bit slowly. So um, deep investigation. But you know, with if you're battling Lewis Hamilton and one of your best opportunities to get past him is at the start, you don't want the start to be your weakness. Absolutely. Well, much to reflect on for Valtteri Bottas. Bad day for him. Um, Luke, it was also a bad day for the other sort of nominal championship contender, Max Verstappen. Um, obviously, you have to say he's not really a championship contender considering how quick the Mercedes is and Bottas really, you know, he's the only one who can challenge Hamilton and he's just not doing it at the moment. But yeah, what happened to Verstappen? Because it, it was a power unit problem that put him out, but he was already in trouble seemingly at both of the starts effectively. Yeah, he had a, a really poor start. I mean, he dropped back um, similar similar to Bottas and started fifth, obviously, after a pretty poor performance in qualifying yesterday. Said that Red Bull had always expected to struggle here, but even so, again, this was an, another big opportunity that, that came Red Bull's way. And they are going to be rare this season. We saw at Silverstone when he took that fantastic victory. That was a, a small chink in Mercedes' armour and Red Bull were able to capitalise on that perfectly. And this weekend, like they just they just didn't do that at all. Like It was really, really disappointing pointing uh yep slipped back all the way through the race um and then after the 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 red flag he was he was running outside of the points and then i think lasted one lap until he was finally parked in the pits due to a power unit issue so something for obviously honda and for red bull to investigate but i think that the more worrying thing is that the the red bull junior team the the b team alpha tauri they were the ones who were able to capitalize and take this win and uh that's it's pretty it's pretty disappointing lewis hamilton even even said after the race that he was obviously singing Pierre Gasly's praises, rightly so. And he said that the fact that Gasly, who was demoted from Red Bull, beat the Red Bulls today and, and took a win that maybe Red Bull should have got, he said that, that's got to hurt Red Bull. And uh, that's quite an interesting comment because, uh, yeah, I think that Red Bull will maybe be thinking like, look, I think whether Gasly should go back to Red Bull, that's a, a very separate debate that we could go on for a long time about. But the fact that it is not the senior Red Bull team that's picking up the pieces when things go their way, it's, yeah, really disappointing. So, um, and a, a similar for Alex Albon as well. Like, again, he just had a very anonymous race and it's, uh, yeah, I think they massively underperformed they today. They cancelled all their press conferences and bogged off, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, which many teams did actually, and I just again, it's just interesting to to think actually all the way back because every now and then it flashes from my mind. Gasly and Albon touched at the first corner, the the the, the first first corner, as it were, which could have been a, a you know a really big incident. Um, Albon did go off as stewards looked at it, didn't take any didn't take any action, and it was just one of those one of those first corner moments. But Albon had um, had a bit of a naughty moment later on with Roman Grosjean that I think uh, particularly tickled Stuart Cuddling because I believe you were once asked on one of uh, one of our TV programs about the angle of, of something. In it, transitory curves. Transitory curves. It was the same corner, wasn't it? The same corner at the start. It was Max Verstappen and Valtteri Bottas. It was, yes. Ago. It was um, our, 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 the dearly beloved Peter Windsor who argued that... Um, was it was 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 it Max was it Max who hit Valtteri? Yeah, yes, Max and Bottas. Yeah, um, and 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 Peter argued that um, he was merely executing a transitory curve at that corner, as Piero Taruffi uh, wrote about in his uh, performance driving handbook. Uh, and you know, it's it's always difficult to get a word in edgeways with with Peter during his broadcast, but I, th- I think I managed to get in the phrase "Peter, you're talking out of your friction circle" uh, as he uh, expounded this theory. And well, I, I did tweet about the whole thing of um, how Peter will be furious that Alex was um, uh, penalised for executing a perfectly legitimate transitory curve, and someone replied saying, "I still remember the look on your face when Peter." <laughs> <laughs> It's very fresh in my mind because John actually showed me that the other night, which shows me the I've not seen this. And I thought I had my p- p- poker face on, but clearly I was, my lip was trembling in, in astonishment and fury as Peter expounded this absolute nonsense theory in front of me. 
you're absolutely right, uh, uh, Luke. It was a you know a very disappointing day for Red Bull when, uh, as you said, they 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 got to be capitalising when Mercedes messes up. Um, and yeah, it's, it's interesting that that Gasly debate because, as I sort of said, it's been it's been such a it's been such a torrid time he's had over the over the well, it was this time last year it was really going bad for him, but then ever since then he's been able to pull himself out of that hole, which really really speaks to his character. He's had some tremendous results, and the trouble he's got is that because he's a Red Bull junior or he's a rebel driver effectively he's contracted to that team so it's up to them if they want to promote him or he leaves that contract and he goes somewhere else john do you do you see that happening i mean i'm not sure it can happen for next year but he's got he's got he's got a choice surely it's either well if red bull don't want me i I have to go somewhere else at some point well the the drivers are given red bull contracts not contracts to red bull racing or um toro rosso i mean max is a different case because he's a bit more senior and experienced and operates in a slightly different league. But the young driver's basically given a contract and then told you're driving for AlphaTauri or you're driving for Red Bull. So we often have these swaps. Uh, and a lot of people have jumped to the conclusion that because Alex Albon's not having a good time and Pierre Gasly's you know, currently being a, a superstar, that it would make sense to swap them. But I think the debate's much more complicated than that because you've got to take into facts. The AlphaTauri looks like a pretty decent racing car, um, Gasly is obviously very comfortable with the way it handles, the way it drives. He's come from the team. He's come from the size of team. Um, he's performing well against a teammate that he feels comfortable he can pace with. Um, the problem with Red Bull is the RB16 is a tricky car. Um, Aerosmith's balance isn't very good. It was a bad weekend for them. Max was struggling with the balance. Um, Alex is up against Max Verstappen, uh, which is not easy for anybody. It's a big team. Um, he's still quite young in terms of how long he's been involved in Formula One. Um, so there's lots of complicated factors that don't make it obvious that you can't say that put Gasly in the Red Bull, he would have done any better in the Italian Grand Prix because there's lots of different factors at play. But I think, you know, leaving Spa last weekend, people started asking Christian Horner, you know, is, this, is there now a case for Gasly to get swapped? And his answer was a definitive no. We're totally happy now with how things are going. But I think Alex needs to deliver something a little bit more now in this the final phase of this season for the thought not to cross Red Bull's mind about what they do going on from here into next year. I don't think it's, it's, don't think it's an immediate thing. But I think if Pierre continues performing like this and Alex doesn't make the progress he's making, he's getting there. Um, he had a better, better qualifier, not brilliant, but better. Um, but if he can keep making progress, he'll be fine. But equally, as we get to the end of the end of the season, it's this current status quo, and I think Red Bull will have a decision to make. Definitely, and I think that you're absolutely right, John. That the I think would, if you put Pierre Gasly into that Red Bull right now, it's n- impossible to say that he would be doing better than Alex Albon is, because as you said, that car is very unpredictable, very skittish. Whereas the AlphaTauri, like it's much more settled, and it, it's much easier for, for Gasly to drive. It suits his driving style more, and he's just so comfortable within that team. And I think that. We really saw that when he went back to Toro Rosso last year, that he immediately just slotted straight back in. He knew everybody. He was very relaxed, very chilled out. And I think there's a lovely sort of like family spirit about that team at Fienza. And that seeing the celebrations today reminded me of um, Bahrain in 2018 when uh, Gasly got that remarkable fourth place finish. And it was like a big deal. Obviously, Honda had made the switch to Toro Rosso over the winter. And just like everyone was going crazy, like it was it was the best result ever. And you kind of looked at that and thought, well, okay, well, this bodes well for his future within the Red Bull project. But now you actually see that he is becoming like the definitive driver for, for that team. And he's got uh, a podium in Brazil last Last year he's got a race victory now which is incredible and I think that he I think it depends what Red Bull wants to do with AlphaTauri like if they want it to be a, a very competitive up the order team Gasly can be an excellent leader for that but also for Pierre as well if he keeps putting in displays like this I think other teams are going to start sort of thinking about okay is he an option for the future could we bring him in a lot of that depends on existing contracts and things like that but I mean you look at you look at Renault and I mean with the, the Alpine announcement for example like they're making sort of like France and the fact they are a French team such a big part of their ideology moving forward um having France's latest Grand Prix winner and the first French Grand Prix winner in 24 years as part of that one day because I think media future probably won't happen I know there's a little bit of beef between uh, Gasly and Ocon as well but to me that just that would make a lot of sense to be sort of a future prospect Um, but yeah I think either way I think Gasly is just performing so well this season and I think that regardless he's just in a really good spot 
I think one of the one of the key examples I recall about driver, you know, being sensational in a in a lesser team, uh, and then moving to a bigger team and it being a total flop was Giancarlo Fisichella in two thousand nine. Um, you know, brilliant in the um, whatever it was called then, Spiker Force India or Midland. It's I Force India by that point, I think. I think yeah. it's still Force India. Pole, I think pole position in Spa. Um, led a lot of that race. Just lost out to Kimi Raikkonen, who used the curves in the Ferrari. You know, the darling of everybody, utterly brilliant. Went to the Ferrari to finish the season and struggled like crazy. Couldn't get on top of the curves. Wasn't comfortable in the car. Was qualifying you know, right towards the back end of the grid. Um, so that's your classic example. Don't think a brilliant driver doing brilliant job for a midfield team that instantly transposes itself uh, when he gets into a more difficult car. Did you know that Kimi Raikkonen picks out that Spa win as one of his uh, top three best of F1 wins in an interview that I did with him earlier on in the weekend? It seems like a lifetime ago that uh, I won't reveal what the others are because having having uh, having asked to provide three, he then provided a fourth, which I was very pleased with. We're going to be talking about Ferrari a lot in the coming week as it celebrates its 1,000th Formula One World Championship Grand Prix ahead of the, the Tuscan Grand Prix in Mugello. John will be driving down there on Tuesday, getting set up. I think we're in quite a remote location for our next Airbnb so we're a little interesting to see how, how that goes the last one wasn't too bad we're surrounded by cows in, in the field in Chalet um, but yeah let's just let's briefly cover off Ferrari as we said Leclerc massive accident put him out of the race but it had been pretty dramatic already for Ferrari because Sebastian Vettel's brakes failed in the very early stages and he blew through the uh, the, the bollards you know the, the marker boards that the cars have to go around if they miss through turn one because the basically said you know the brake line exploded it was on it was on fire as he ran down the back straight towards the parabolica uh, the, the the bits just exploding off the car and yeah very dramatic incident there for Vettel so yeah a disastrous day for Ferrari but actually I think the weekend was better than it was in Spa like it looks bad because of what happened in in Q1 but I think that it just wasn't they it wasn't it wasn't the nightmare of whatever they did was wrong in Spa in terms of they couldn't get the tyres switched on and the straight line speed obviously a, a problem and that would have been a factor here as well but you know nevertheless in terms of okay the race result was 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 was, was disastrous and dramatic but actually sort of the overall feeling it, it could have been worse let's face it which is still pretty damning on Ferrari but um but I wanted to just talk about one final subject and and Codders will come to you for, for this first um the last, the last Grand Prix of the Williams family leaving, leaving the team after this weekend. Um, I can reveal because they they uh, they presented uh, Claire Williams with this this nose cone from one of the the recent cars that they actually had in the back of the truck all weekend, and team members were coming in a bit like a bit like we do at Autosport, where if, if anybody if anybody leaves, I assume you do you do this at GP Racing as well. That if anybody leaves, they get a lovely joke cover printed off. Everybody signs it, writes nice or horrible messages depending on what kind of a friend you are. But yeah, the, this nose cone, I'd spotted it in the back of the garage because you know as a, as a as a student of formula one history i was like why can i see a martini livery bit in the back of the truck so i i, I did my my studious journalism and I, and I contacted the team i said you know i'm just poking my nose in obviously but what's going on here is it a surprise and if it is i won't tell anyone and they were like you're on the right lines and yeah if you keep that, that to yourself that'll be that'll be nice but obviously it was just nice to see that presented to the team uh, obviously an emotional weekend Nicholas Latifi very complimentary of Claire Williams waving the cars out of the garages before they went to the grid um not obviously not the most easy race because it never is for Williams these days um but yeah Codders, what did you make of of uh, the Williams family's exit from Formula One today well it wasn't the glorious exit they would have hoped for and no, it, it's a shame, really, but but they're, they're a team that have scrapped for a lot of their existence. Um, if, if if I can utter the nickname that used to be given to Frank Williams uh, back in his early days, he he was known as Wanker Williams uh, back in the sort of the late sixties, early seventies, because you know he was uh, you know someone who, who tugged around at the back of the grid doing deals in phone boxes, and no one took him seriously. And then all of a sudden, he he put this team together and magic ensued not just for a couple of seasons but for a very long time and when you look at a lot of the people who work in Formula One nowadays in very senior positions they all came through the the Williams um, system you know none more so than Ross Braun who started out his career as a as a humble bolter and I could tell you a very funny story about Ross Braun um, but unfortunately it would trigger the uh, Apple unsuitable language warning. So many people have come through the, the, the Williams system uh, and wasn't it nice to see both drivers deliver 
these sort of very nice soliloquies and so eloquent as well. And, uh, you know, it brought... It, uh, George Russell's brought a tear to my eye and then Nicholas Latifi oh god it was like the end of E.T. basically you know I was nearly gone uh, and and the, you know they were just so nice and it was so heartfelt it, it was a wonderful moment guys we should we should wrap that up there it's getting very late uh, here in Monza but thank you very much uh, for all your insights your comments uh, Codders you were not thanked for your various jokes uh, but there we go we shall persevere uh, and all that's left to say is to say thank you very much to the three of you for coming on the podcast tonight and thanks to everybody listening along now just before we go we'd like to remind you that the latest issue of Autosport magazine came out on Thursday and is available on the supermarket shelves and in news agents as well as on the doormats of subscribers there'll be a new issue of the magazine for you to pick up every Thursday packed full of news analysis and the usual stuff photography and of course if you want unlimited access to autosport from the comfort of your home it's autosport.com slash plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package we'll be back soon with another episode of the autosport podcast music is 6am by trilo written by marcus simmons see soundcloud.com slash trilo music redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.